In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello, hello, hello. I am Ryan Roxy and you are now In the Trenches. Um, Wow. Welcome to the live stream podcast. We're on just a couple minutes late, but that's okay because um, our rock star today, uh, he will deserve, he deserves that. He can be as late as he wants, as late as he wants to the party. It's fine with me. Um, Hold on. (laughs) Things are going nuts in my studio, by the way. So welcome to In the Trenches, a live stream podcast. If you are listening to us on Spotify or Apple, please do make your way on over to YouTube or Facebook Live or YouTube Live and hit that subscribe button so you can see our lovely faces because this is a face you're going to want to see. All right. I've been, uh, yeah, you know, I don't usually wear, I don't fanboy out too much on the show but I do get a lot of my uh, guitar heroes on the show, and I've been lucky enough to have that. But today is probably the guy that's been pretty much the biggest soundtrack of my life and a lot of years out there. So I would like to, without even any introduction, I don't need to. I don't even need. To, I just need to say his name. I don't need to say the band's name. But welcome to In the Trenches, Mr. Rick Nielsen. Good morning. Hello, sir. Uh, hello to you. Greetings from uh, Stockholm, Sweden, to I'm assuming Rockford, Illinois. Yeah, right. My next door neighbor's Swedish. Is he? Uh huh. Well, and now you're you're my next door neighbor now. <laughs> we are we are for the next little time being. Um, well, Rockford, Illinois, is where we're going to start the story because uh, for those of you that are just tuning in, this is Mr. Rick Nielsen from Rockford, Illinois. I would say America's rock and roll band, Cheap Trick. Yeah. yeah. You guys have earned that. And uh, definitely, how are you holding up during all these crazy 2020 times? You doing all right? Well, what's going on? <laughs> Anything different? <laughs> yeah, no. I, uh, this is the first time I've been uh, not playing uh, for about the last 50 years. Isn't that so crazy? Like, so here, I better get, grab my guitar. Did you grab sure. one? Okay, cool. I got, I, I got mine, too. All right. Which one did you bring out for this one? 65 uh, Lake Placid Blue Stratocaster. Oh, my God. I brought out a, um, I have a 70, this is a 78 Les Paul uh, Cherry Burst. But uh, I've got some of those, too. I know you do. You got the good stuff. We're going to talk about that awesome uh, guitar collection, because that is one of those things that uh, not very many people have, but you have more than many, I would say. You've been collecting. That was all. <laughs> Well, let me ask you this, Rick. Um, you've yep. been Wikipedia says that the band has been playing about three thousand seven hundred shows, and I'm like, I'm not a big wiki guy. I went down the rabbit hole and do the research. I think you've played way more than that in your career. I think we're approaching six thousand shows. Six thousand. Wow. We've said we've been saying five thousand for the last fifteen years. <laughs> five thousand oh. shows since they've been keeping stats. You see, there, there yeah. was many years where they weren't keeping stats. I'm sure. Well, we started playing when uh, we came came across America on the, in the stagecoach. So, so <laughs> coal powered guitars and stuff like that. I, lo- I love those early coal powered. Maybe you could show us some of those in your collection. But well, yeah, <laughs> you guys busted out of the Chicago rock scene. So, 
I mean, I, I have a segment in this in the podcast where I say you got to go back to go forward. But when I say these names, and I, I don't know if they're trigger words for you, but if I'm if I'm if I was to say sort of band other band names in that scene before you guys came on and completely dominated it, what would you think of if I was to say names like uh, Randy Hogan, or if I was to say you know like fuse and that was your first band with with tom exact am i right with that well it was we were actually called the grim reapers before that okay but uh but then uh, but yeah I mean, yeah sure i mean i'm still playing with tom i'm, I'm actually doing a, a a session with him uh later today or tomorrow and uh, so we're, we're, we're still speaking <laughs> which is a good thing which is a good thing. Yeah. I mean, there has been, like I said, doing research for this podcast because this for me was not just like every, any other podcast. Um, I, you have been part of my music, uh, sort of my soundtrack of my life for many, many years. I've been trying to rewrite Surrender in one way or another for many, many years. And, um, but me too. <laughs> it's got a great, it's a great, um, formula it's it's got the modulation it's got everything that you need in it right i'll play it right now how come you're not plugged into an app rick we need that you know i don't want to ruin the, ruin the continuity of my lousy uh, productions so. <laughs> i think your production is fine right now but the the bands okay i was looking at my notes because i was i was thorough man when i was saying the other bands that were probably in that scene right you know maybe after the Grim Reapers or right before Cheap Trick, before you guys started to dominate Chicago and play more than just, uh, you know, bowling alleys and uh, bar mitzvahs. There was bands like Off-Broadway, the Pez Band, the Thumbs. Do all those names, are those trigger words or are those kind of bands you go, oh yeah, they were in that scene? Yeah, I think it was was Pez Band that was probably the, uh, the best of that lot in that era. Uh, but I used to see I used to see uh, uh, Rudy Sarzo playing at bands too. He, he was uh, they were all all Cubans, and it's like was Rudy you know, part of the of the of the sort of the Chicago rock scene? I didn't know that. Oh yeah, he used to play. He used to come and see us play all the time. Um, let's see, um, yeah, off Broadway, the Thumbs, Pez Band. Pez Band was the one that I knew. Most about, and that have Cliff, Cliff Johnson from Off Broadway. I just tried to buy one of Tommy Gwenda's guitars not long ago, but he went sold it with ah. out from under me. Ah, you know, I, I actually heard that uh, Pete Kamita sold that that uh, twelve string sort of Explorer bass, and I thought maybe you might have been the one that bought it. I would have, but I didn't know about it. Is <laughs> <laughs> not in LA right now? Uh, I believe he is. I didn't go that far down the cheap trick rabbit hole and the sort of legacy of it, but, and, um, I just wanted to actually, cause I was, I was thinking a bunch of different angles and there's probably hasn't been a question that you haven't been asked ever in like the thousands of interviews and podcasts that you have been doing, um, over the years, but I kind of made, wanted to make it more of a, a celebration of basically everything that cheap trick has kind of brought to American pop culture. Cause you guys have been very instrumental in many of, 
uh, the popular things that have happened and shaped rock and roll music throughout the years. It might not have, people might not realize it. You've just always been there. Yeah, we've had plenty of failure. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> well, dude, you are you are the definition of persistence. <laughs> of failure. <laughs> no, no, of persistence, man, it, which is ultimately, yeah. ultimately it pays off because look at you, you, you have, uh, you have, you've lived the rock star life. It's like the story of the turtle and the hair. The hair bands, I get it, get it. The hair bands didn't last. <laughs> they didn't get to last as long as playing as many gigs in as many different venues as you have for decades and decades. So there's, there's a good thing and a bad thing, I think. But uh, yeah, it's like uh, we, it, we, I kind of kid around with this line, but it's like we're too dumb to quit. You know, it's like we like what we do, and we're, we're lucky that we get to play. But now, you know, we're in the same boat as everybody else. It's like we're, it's like uh, you and with Alice Cooper and with Cheap Trick. It's like we got to start over again. You know, we gotta, well, we got to pivot. We definitely have to pivot and find it, find a different thing. But you know what? The thing is, we might be in the same boat, but you're in the upper cabin. At least you have, you know, like your own separate, you know, off suite bathroom in that <laughs> in that boat. <laughs> oh. Oh, goody. Because you worked hard for it, though, to be honest with you, because I just wanted to go over just a couple things to, like, sort of celebrate. You know, the, the, the 70s, that 70s song, the theme song that's for so many years, you know, kind of was. Yeah. Well, we did, you know, it's like uh, when they did that 70s show, uh, they called me and they said, well, we'd like to either use, uh, I think it's called In the Streets, um, um, uh, the Alex Shilton song. Or we want to use surrender. One of the one of those. And they said uh, they thought about. It. They said, "Well, well, now we we don't want to do it." And then after the first year, the TV show was on. They said, "Well, we I guess we made a mistake because we'd like to we'd like to get to do. Sur- uh, we should have used surrender, but now we have to the, stick with this the, one. <laughs> we have to stick with it, and plus we had to use the same. Uh, they had it all uh, had it all uh, framed out by." for the song to fit. So, so we had to do the same song, but we tried to do a little different arrangement and we added the, uh, we're all all right at part at the end, which, you know, we've done it in surrender. For of course, it's a little nod to the hit. Yeah. Yeah. Not to ourselves or whatever. Why not? And it was like, yeah. But, but so it, then uh, it's quintessential rest, cheap trick. Yeah. The rest of the TV, um, it was for as long as the back was, was on the air yeah. to use that. So it's like, um, we were on there, and, uh, that, and that helped us get a, a phone call from um, from uh, uh, Stephen Colbert, and he wanted a song for uh, his TV show, um, and so I wrote the, uh, the song. We called it Baby Mumbles, but it was like, uh, da, 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 da. and what that is is I want you to want me backwards. <laughs> Well, we did That's that a trick. Was, just just take the same riff, forward it, and fast and rewind it, and, and go yeah, make it yeah. sideways. <laughs> so we, that, that way we would sue ourselves if it was. Uh, I've been trying. Like I told you, man, I've been trying to rewrite "Surrender" for years. It hasn't worked yet. But damn it! But you had many <laughs> other sound. <laughs> but you had many other songs in soundtracks, and just a couple of them that I wanted to go out over just to to like make you know it's it's a cool thing to have. Um, oh, yeah. up, up the Creek, you had a great soundtrack song in that, which is a very funny movie. It wasn't a great song, but uh, it wasn't a great yeah, movie. It, yeah, it was. It wasn't a great movie. So, oh, it, yeah. 
you, you played to the level of the of the competition on that one, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I thought um, it was great. Though. We've been in a lot of a lot of different stuff. We're really lucky that we got picked. I mean, we did the uh, I wrote the international song for Pepsi years ago, and but it only got played outside the outside the U.S., so nobody really heard it here. So you wrote um, the international version of the Pepsi theme song. Yeah. Okay. What was it called? Just do it, or what was your tagline for that? Uh, yeah, you're hearing it first. Nothing else in a Pepsi, something like that. There was, like, was had, there was three different versions, and the one they picked was like about my third favorite of the three. And then we were in Top Gun, and we were in. Yeah, I just saw the. I just saw uh, a thing called uh, Grown Ups. I think it was Grown Ups. Yeah, that show's great too. And here's a here was a Adam Sandler. Uh, sliding down a water slide while they're doing uh, just got back <laughs> you know, <I> was like, <laughs> just got yeah. back off the all shook up album um yeah. but i remember getting a 45 back in the day with when the 10 inch came out of the cheap trick 10 inch that had and there was a 45 in it that had everything works if you let it that was from roadie right yeah everything works if you let it yeah <laughs> so so anyhow i want to you know all those things are great but for me and i'm not sure for you and maybe for some of our, our listeners in the chat right now because again you're listening to youtube live or facebook live just hit that subscribe button uh we appreciate all your comments that are coming here we have rick nielsen from the band cheap trick we are sort of celebrating the soundtrack of our lives with him and how much cheap trick has brought to the american pop cultures and apparently now he just told me the international pop culture by writing the pepsi theme song internationally but yeah. for me it was the the biggest moment for me was that you got such street cred from Damone in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, well, somebody did. <laughs> at that moment, for me, it's like I can recite that line, and there he is. There's Damone right there giving you, still giving you credit as you do. You know. yeah, I just got a, I just saw under, there's a, Sue Phillips says Transformers soundtrack, too. We were on that too. That's cool, yeah. man. Okay, yes, it was Ramon, that was cool. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. You know, we knew uh, uh, Christopher Crow and Cam and Cameron Crow. There were two different Crow people, but uh, he liked us, I guess, enough. Were they brothers, or they're just, or they're just non-related by name, or what? Uh, well, the one guy wrote Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and the other guy um, came up with our logo and. In about 1974. Aha, aha. And he, he was actually the producer of uh, uh, The Last of the Mohicans. Really? And, uh, yeah, and um, what was the other one? Was it Johnny Depp, the uh, Elliot Ness one? I don't know what it's called. But Wasn't Cameron Crowe had something to do with with uh, the Fast Times at Ridgemont High? Because I think at the time, the reason why Nancy Wilson was in that show is because they were dating. And that's the reason how... They weren't just dating. <laughs> Man. They were past the date stage. Yeah, I know. You 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 got to tour. I'm sure you toured many times with Hart. Back yeah, in but the, I never got to date him. You never dated either of them. Okay. Yeah. No, you've always been you've always been a straight shooter guy. I know. You know. By the way, how's how's Karen? She doing good? 
good. She said to say hi. I'll tell her. Tell her I said hello. And 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 the whole Nielsen uh, clan. They you guys are a big group. Four of y'all. How many? You know, well, I'm I'm, a, I'm an only child, but now you know. I think I I won't even tell you what I did. But now there's <laughs> you know, four kids, four four spousal equivalents, and twelve grandkids. Wow. The grandkids. Well, that wasn't really your doing. That was just, you know, that just happened. You just planted the seed in a weird way. I mean, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I just, I I walked into that one. I'm an only child too. I never knew that about you, Rick. I didn't know that you were only child. So I'm, maybe that's our sound bite. That's what we get to get on the blabbermouth that you were an only child. That's what we do. (laughs) We can commiserate together. I always say it's like being an only child. You had to learn how to play with yourself. (laughs) Which I did really well. Everyone always, everyone always says, "There it is." That's Rick Nielsen's, and that's the famous one of the one of his iconic guitars. But let me let me dispel a rumor for you because I'm left-handed, and I don't know if yep. you're left-handed as well. But I'm left-handed, and I always thought uh, that because I have all the coordination in my left hand, I was doing it the right way because all this hand did with the pick was go up and down and I was already practiced and really a professional at going up and down by the time I really took guitar seriously. So <laughs> yeah. If you want to say it like that, yeah. <laughs> going up and down. That's how it was so we got in trouble. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. It's like uh, being the if you're from Sweden, that that helps you. Yeah. You know, where the Swedes it's like um yeah, never mind. I'll tell you about that later. You got it. You got it. I want to move on with with the accolades of what Cheap Trick has brought to American pop culture because you you were in 2016 part of the 2016 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees, and uh, you guys I think were the top of the class at that point. But you had some cool bands to go in it. There's a, there's a great picture of it. Um, I don't see Dax in there somewhere. Vic, our producer, there it is. Of you guys performing, and um, now. That whole experience with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, how are you sitting with that? Because you, you came in with some great acts. You came in with the Cars, Chicago, especially, you you actually got inducted with NWA. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> I, I invited, uh, I wanted them to play, you know, to, to play together because they walked out and they got to, uh, hey, we were at NWA and thank you, Black I don't even know if they said thank you, but it's like, I wanted to play with them and I also wanted to, I was wanted to play with uh, Richie Blackmore because he wouldn't play with with Deep Purple, but I said we don't care. I mean, I liked Richie. We used to we did some uh, tour dates together with, with Rainbow years ago. Everybody said he was such a mean and tough guy. I mean, he liked me, but it's like <laughs> <you know. laughs> I'm easy to hate too. So I was like, uh, I don't know, man. You're you're you're, you're a pretty likable guy, dude. We didn't get um, Richie didn't call, and then. Uh, yeah, but it was, it was quite an honor. I think quite an honor to be there and quite an honor to get chosen to be in that. And and now when I go to the grocery store, people say, oh, aren't you, um, is that to be plastic or, or paper? You know, it's like, or Hall of Famer. What is that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? The thing that sets it a, a one notch up and I just found this out too by doing my stellar research, me and our, our in the trenches team of, of top notch uh like, they are so talented. Yeah, we, we got a staff, man. Let me tell you, they're doing good. Um, but the thing is, I was just uh, informed and I found out myself that your music was inducted into the Smithsonian. Now, how did that That's work true. out? When did that go? Um, your music is now going to be timeless into the Smithsonian Institute? Or what does that mean? 
it's something like that. Um, actually, it's the Library of Congress. And uh, actually, somebody that a, a, a girl that uh, worked for my parents at my parents' store, she's now the chief librarian and in, in Rockford school system. Okay. And she, she put out a petition and went to the Library of Congress. You know, it's like, you know, I had nothing to do with it. And, uh, but we got nominated. And before you knew it, we were, were in it with some great people. It's like, uh, how'd we get in there? But it's like, uh, it's now, quite a, that's quite an honor too. Of course it is. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's why I say it's, it's so much part of our history and the history of rock and roll. But what happens with that music? Does it go into some sort of vault or does it get sent up in one of Elon Musk's rockets and sent to Mars? Or what happens? I want to go in that too. Hey, Elon, I'm looking for a Tesla too. He gave me a good person. He'll get you. Um, what I'm trying to think, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's forever in the Library of Congress, where, whatever that actually is. I mean, it's got things like um, the Martin Luther King speech is in there. The, um, uh, the, the, the soundtrack or the, the, of the baseball game, the World Series. I mean, it's like all kinds of, Babe Ruth hitting, the, you know, you know, just all kinds of different uh, pieces. So I of- want you to want me. We'll be right next to Martin Luther's speech, which is, "I have a dream. I want you to want me." I like it. There, Ryan, you are the best. <laughs> I come up with those campaign slogans right there for you, buddy. <laughs> I should say congratulations, by the way. And I know this news just came out today, but really? congrats as well because this all kind of goes within the trenches because folks if you haven't found found out by now we're, we're, we're sitting here with rick nielsen from the band cheap trick the most persistent rock and roll band uh in america they've been doing it for decades and decades and congratulations on landing this huge new publishing deal that you just signed yeah i don't know i haven't read it somebody told me that came in the news I, today I, I got a text from dax this morning said Congratulations. I'm just reading it. So, well, I haven't read it yet. So, what is it? <laughs> and, you well, know, and can you really trust everything you read these days? Who knows? Maybe well, it's fake. Tell me it's not fake news. Tell me it's not fake news, man. It's, all, it's, all, it's just all good news. <laughs> you know, see, you're, you're trying to figure out, you know, I don't, I don't know. But it's like, yeah, it was a publishing deal. The, 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 this company, Mojo, Mojo Music, they, Mojo Media, yeah. they, uh, they uh, promote some of the songs I wrote and some of the cheap trick songs and cheap trick, some of the stuff I did. And they've got some, some nice plans for it. It's like, that's what I do. I'm a songwriter. I'm not really a great guitar player like you are, Ryan. Well, come on, man. I learned from you. Basically I learned from all your records. So I'm, I'm only, trust me, man. I've been trying to write my songs as well, but I don't have 400 of them and I don't have this new deal with Mojo, although I will take the call. Uh, Mark Freed did actually give a really good press release about it. And for those that are listening, how how does that whole publishing work in like literally five seconds? <laughs> like they're basically yeah. watching out for your songs, placing them in things so that basically nobody rips it off and you make a lot of money, right? In a nutshell. Um, I like that. I'll, I'll just use that. You know, Mark's a pretty cool guy. And you know, it's like, uh, they have ideas where they, they take, you, you, uh, take your lyrics or what the meaning of the song or the actual song. And, and how can this be used in other ways? I mean, it's like, um, 
to, to you know, a song is a, a good song is a good song, a bad song is a is a good song if you use it a lot. <laughs> That's a great yeah. quote. You're right. Yeah, I, I, read that back to me because I don't remember. That. Don't worry, we have it on tape. I know, and I'll get Vic to make sure this goes transcribe. It's like when people say, "Oh, oh yeah, I love Cheap Trick." I said. I said, we've done like three or 400 songs. I, I said, even I can't, I can name about eight yeah. of them, you know? So, I know. so it's like, it's good to, uh, I've always liked to be exploited in the right way. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt about it. You, you've you always been that entertainer though, ever since the, the early days. And I'm like, just a real quick step back to Fuse and, and, the, the the band before before you found Robin was that did that idea of coming up with this I don't even know what you call it because you could also good, good the good looking college like I guess now he would be like a gamer he would be like a computer gamer the the character of what Rick Nielsen was right at that point because he wasn't this naughty schoolboy of Angus Young but he was definitely his kind of older brother or maybe his, yeah, his, his, his cousin that actually was a little bit smarter and uh, but was just as wacky now did were the comparisons because you know what's funny? As a kid growing up listening to both bands and being a fan of both bands, I never saw any sort of similarity because to me, that ACDC was ACDC. Cheap Trick was my favorite band. So <laughs> I didn't find that much of a difference between the two of you. But now looking back, I'm going, well, you did both have some sort of a an image, of a cartoonish image in that sense. Now, who... Did, did did someone take it from somebody, or did it all was it all just synergy at the same time? Well, I wasn't good looking like you, nah. but uh, it looks like you know. In Cheap Trick, they were just always we were just musicians, and we were never and never tried to be something we weren't. You know, it's like I was I was always kind of like the the guy that got in trouble in high school and junior high school. I, you know, I was I was straight A's and first chair on two instruments in in seventh grade. And I was thrown out of the Rockford Music, uh, Rockford School System music program for life in seventh grade. And my parents owned a music store, blah blah blah, and all kinds of stuff. Because I went, I said to the uh, the band director, I said, "Mr. Bischel, you're an incompetent, drunken fool who doesn't deserve to teach music to me or anybody else." And boom, I was thrown out right then. And it was the last I had anything to do with the music system. And in in the public school system, music wow. programs, life, and it's like uh, I said. I, I tell people that was the last time I told the truth because I got in trouble. <laughs> Basically, it's, it's kind of true, but it was like I couldn't keep my mouth shut. Was when when somebody was doing the, which I thought was the wrong thing. My parents were opera singers, so it's like I knew not the music I wanted to do, but I knew a right note from a wrong note, an F sharp from a from a G flat. You know, it's like. I knew the difference in some of that stuff. And so um, I got in trouble. But uh, then a few years later, now I'm in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And it's like, uh, <laughs> I guess you have the last I lap on that one. Uh, so I guess, you know, and about 40 years later, after all that, uh, I was at a, a program that they did for for the school that I went to, the junior high school program. And uh, they had me, they had uh, John B. Anderson, 
uh, who was ran for president. Uh-huh. Uh, after Timothy Johnson, who was a, a TV mo- uh, morning uh, doctor on ABC TV, and me as the host of this thing. And it's like, I said, what they get to meet me there for, you know, for levity? You know, these guys are pretty important people. And I said, well, then the, the principal that was at the school when I was there, who I thought was ancient at the time, he was still alive. He came over to me. I said, Mr. Hulick, I said, you know, you didn't mention the, the, the Mr. Weedle, the, the head of Dean, the Dean of Boys. He says, he says, Rick, you were right. <laughs> That's an amazing. My parents had passed away. You know, all you know, all is forgiven. It's you know what, Rick. I the thing that's that that really trips me out is that I have a similar story of a German guitar teacher that when I was about you know maybe a little bit younger than seventh grade, I was probably maybe in sixth grade, fifth grade. He Adolf. No, it wasn't. It was a different, but he kind of taught the class like that. And he, I remember leaving a music store because it was a private group lesson, right? And I remember him saying to his, to my mom, just loud enough so I could hear it, uh, he should really learn another instrument because he'll never do anything with the guitar. And so we both have these this very young age, this this sort of person that kind of like, shuts us down. You, we could have peaked at seventh grade, but then you know you go on to yeah, you get to work with Alice Cooper every night. I only get to see him once in a while. Yeah, but he's a great guy to work yeah, with. Alice, and, and yes, I think I agree with you. I should be I should have been playing with uh, with uh, with ACDC. We loved doing the shows with those guys. Uh, we were both about doing about the same at the at the time. We do flip flop shows. There it goes. Uh, Cheap Trick and ACDC with Bon Scott first played together. No, that wasn't when we first played together. But, uh, but, uh, when when was the first time? Can you remember the first time? Was it before that? And seven, because you guys were, yeah, it was 78 78 that we toured together and we went all over the place. I mean, I I took, uh, I took uh, Bon Scott to the first time he ever ate uh, Mexican food. He had a taco and a glass of scotch. And I had both Malcolm and, and Angus came to my house in Rockford. And then the last time that I saw uh, Malcolm alive was, and with Angus, uh, was we went, I flew down to Nashville to see their last show of the tour the, there. And he says, Hey, Rick, you still living in Rockford? Yeah. He goes, yeah, I am. <laughs> I love them. They were the best band I ever, we ever played with. That's amazing. That's amazing. I, I I knew that there there had to be some sort of camaraderie back in those days between all you guys. At least being the posters on my wall, that's the way I imagined things being. And I I felt that there was this huge camaraderie. And I think Cheap Trick has always been that sort of band that that other bands come to see. Am I right with that? Yeah. Well, yeah. It's like yeah. We they're one of the few bands, right? You know, it's, I love their music so much. They were so powerful. And it's like, and there was, it was just no nonsense stuff. It was just like the songs, it was just like, you know, thank God they never had any uh, slow ballads or anything like that. You know, it's like, they were just, it was just like balls to the wall, start to finish. And, you know, Bon Scott, he was the original heavy duty uh, pirate rock and roll uh, scallywag or whatever they were called. You know? Oh, yeah. And it was just, it was just a, they were the real, the real deal. There's no monkey business. 
No fluffed out Ryan Roxy hair. Nope. Nope. No, no 80s or 90s Ryan Roxy hair and dreadlocks. And now it's uh, slowly paying the price for it right now. That's why I wear a hat. Um, yeah, but here we are, folks. We're talking with Rick Nielsen throwing amazing compliments onto the the ACDC, which I can, I always say is the Bond Scott era ACDC, although I love Brian Johnson as well. Uh, I do think that uh, those, those early records with, with Bond were the best and uh, you were also a fan too. So um, yeah, I mean, God, man, I, I, but we're not here to talk about ACD as much. We're here to yeah. talk, we're talking about the, the sort of celebration of the American pop impact that, that you've had. And oh my God, there's that first album. Okay. The, our producer just put this album out, and I'm actually wearing it on my chest today. But there's a thing that Alice Cooper likes to say. He says, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Right? So there's some rumors and, and myths that I would kind of like to move into with this segment called Never Let the Truth Get Into the, into, uh, the Way of a Good Story. Um, that album cover, Vic, if you can put it up again, can you confirm for me, Rick Nielsen, uh, is that album cover that you're holding in your hand on that album cover a Fuse album? No, it's not a Fuse album. It's a, it's a picture of uh, Tom and I, uh, actually shot by the, the photographer I'd known for a long time, Rich Kwasniewski is the guy's name, and he was, just came to my house um, like a week or so, last week, and it's, it's me holding, playing an accordion, and he's Tom is looking inside his jacket for something. I'm not sure what it was. And we just always like the idea of when you look at something, there's there's more to it than than just the the picture. And it's like like when we did, uh, I think it was Heaven Tonight. On Heaven Tonight, it's like if you look at the back, look at the inside. Inside my, I'm brushing my teeth with a checkerboard toothbrush. There it is, and with a checkerboard toothbrush, you look in the, in the back there. That's a that's a, a postcard of in color in my back pocket. Never saw like that it. before, Rick. Honestly, for those of you that are listening to this on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any of the other platforms, please pull your car over right now and sign on to YouTube or Facebook Live and check this out right now because we are dispelling myths right now. I never saw that before. Honestly, Rick, that's cool. Well, See now that uh, now that you now that you know the greatest fact on earth, I can't see. I can't unsee it now. <laughs> no, well, go take a look at it when you when you're not driving. You know, we don't, no texting while driving, and no looking at uh, cheap trick albums that have been out for forty years and and try to drive at the same time. Never gets tired though. Never gets tired. <laughs> so another myth or sort of mystery that we want, I want to solve today with this uh, never let the truth get in the way of a good story is you actually have played on an Alice Cooper album before yeah, along the let's see is everything good hey uh, Ryan Karen just walked in oh make sure you say hello Karen you want to make an appearance on the podcast it's fine with us she can't wait all right we'll just tell her we said hello hello Karen how you doing darling Good. How are you? We're doing good. Hey, everybody. Everybody in the chat right now, say hello to Rick's wife, lovely wife, Karen, right now. Do you want to bring the other four kids and maybe the grandchildren, too, as well? No, they don't live here anymore. Oh, wow. He's <laughs> not 24 seven. That's amazing. Okay, okay bye, Karen. Gotta go. Sorry. No problem, Karen. I want to... You better to be talking to her than me, but there's two... <laughs> 
<laughs> but she wouldn't know about this session though. And I think you can, uh, there it is. People saying hello on the chat to Karen. Yeah. Sylvia, Sylvia Rivera. And they, more people are talking to her. Yeah. Look at it. Everyone's people lighting up her. talking to Karen. Yeah. We just broke the internet with Karen. So do you remember that session and the album from the inside that you played with Alice Cooper in the song Serious? Yeah, I do. Uh, and actually, uh, when I came to see you guys last year, you guys played it. And uh, and I, I was over on the side there. It's like, God, that was pretty good. And it's like, uh, it, it was. It was it, it's, it's a tough arrangement, too. And that was, I went to see, I think we were at, uh, at uh, Cherokee Studios in L.A., Really? And yeah, that's where it was. That's where we did it. And uh, Alice, it was. Uh, I think it was with David Foster. Yes. Yeah, it was David Foster. And it's like uh, once again here. I'm I'm Rick from the from Cheap Trick from Illinois, and here I am playing a session with all these guys. <laughs> and I'd actually seen uh, Alice uh, at a place called um, Lally's in Chicago. There was maybe twenty people there, and. Um, it was a place that, that Grim Reapers had played too. It was like just this kind of awful big, big bar. Yeah. With had a balcony on it. And it's like, and I remember seeing Alice Cooper there. It was like, as I, that was, that was the real early Alice Cooper. Oh, yeah. I'm no stranger to 20 person club gigs. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, yeah. I've done my share. I've done my share. Right now we got that same thing. 20 and that's a lot that's a big crowd today well it's at least it's it's legal now to have a gig i said if i did a solo tour i'd be all under the limits and i could actually do it (laughs) you can play with yourself again there you go it's all back to that is it this that's not the reoccurring theme of that but so so when you moved it's it's a funny story that you recorded that at Cherokee Studios because that was my first, when I first moved to Los Angeles, that was my first job that I ever got was working the night shift of uh, Cherokee Studios. And this was back in the day. It might have been a little bit later than than those days that you're talking about, but bands like Motley Crue and uh, Crocus and uh, those types of bands were all that were probably produced by Tom Weirman, who is one of the bigger producers in your guys' career that made a lot of um, big records for you guys. He was producing a lot of albums out of there. And let me tell you, cleaning up those rooms in those studios, um, because I had the graveyard shift, just cleaning up those rooms at night kept me up because I was able to sort of clean up the rooms and there was just stuff lying around that would keep me up all night, just so you know. Oh, really? I recorded an album there with... uh uh, with Gene Simmons too, is uh, at Cherokee. Yeah, his solo record. Uh-huh. You played on that. Uh- yep, yeah, on that too. Okay, man, you've been. How about that, huh? All right. And plus, you must have known Khan, right? Well, dude, there's so you're just giving. You should be a spokesman for the uh, pentatonic scale. Then I think it's really important because <laughs> that's well, what yeah, I am. Playing, that last picture you had up there was uh, me playing with. Butch Vig and the, and uh, and Dave Grohl. Okay, man. So you, yeah, about that. that's the thing. I think you remember like pretty much everything, yeah. and, and, and you I can remember, remember everything. You put a picture of so I can <laughs> jar my memory. <laughs> But hey, man, it's working. And that's the reason why we have our top-notch producer, Vic, giving these photos the whole time. Moving on to these producers that I just wanted to 
talk about because you've worked with the best. I mean, you've worked with the absolute friggin' best. Jack Douglas produced your, your, your debut. And here's another little rumor that I'd like to dispel now that it's just me and you here for a little while. Um, did Jack record the tracks for in color, but then Tom Weirman mixed them or were they re-recorded? Right. How did that work out? Because there was a switch from Jack Douglas to Tom Weirman and you can definitely hear it in the booth in the two first Yeah, albums. well, Jack Douglas did our first record and we did that in New York. We did, I think, 26 songs in seven days, something like that. And But we only used 10, 10 of those tracks. Then when we went to do the second album, um, we got Tom Weirman, second, third, and fourth album was Tom Worman and he, uh, and he, Tom was supposed to go to Japan with us uh, to work to do um, which ended up to be the uh, Live at Budokan record but he didn't something, something happened in Japan I, I, I wasn't aware could you tell me about that they thought Roxy Ryan Roxy was going to come there so, uh, so, <laughs> so he didn't want to go there Worman didn't and we took it back to the U.S. And Jack Douglas and myself and Bunny actually mixed the the Live at Budokan record, which was which was actually twice as long as what uh, the the album that came out was. We only used half the tracks, yeah. and Jack did that. So no, the in color was not done uh, with, by Jack. But then later, uh, we decided we wanted to redo the in color album, and we did that in Chicago with Steve Albini. We spent our own money. It was never really released, but uh, we just wanted to. The songs were good, but we thought the we thought it needed some flushing out, as they say. Yeah, I mean, I I can hear the difference. I love the album, obviously, because like back in those days when I was telling you, and I worked at uh, uh, Cherokee Studios, I would take literally, I would take a copy, cassette copy of In Color, and just crank it out over those big studio speakers, which was quite fun, you know. And, uh, but look, moving on, like Roy Thomas Baker, I love that. you know, you produced the producer of queen and cars, obviously who you got nominated in with the rock and roll hall of fame. You started out with Todd Rundgren way back in the day, right? Yeah. We worked with Todd too. And I just, just saw him again, uh, recently he's, he's always been, you know, like one of those, one of the, the a list of guys, you know, so you ever listen to the uh, locomotion, the old version, not the... Well, no, the Locomotion by a Grand Funk Railroad, I think it was. Okay, yeah, they, they, they had a hit with it. That's one of the best-sounding records out there, and Todd did that. And then uh, before we did those, you know, we worked with... Uh, oh, you mentioned uh, Everything Works If You Let It. That was with uh, Sir George Martin, who then... it's the same, I can't remember. It's the same time or right before or right after that oh. we did the old Chick Upper album with him. I was getting was, to George Martin because... Yeah. Well, you jumped. You jumped ahead. So I know. I'm, I'm sorry. Gonna, I'm not doing it, this. This interview is not in chronological order because we have a producer that will cut it all up. Yeah, you never saw the in color in my back pocket on the back of Heaven's Night, and now there's, so, so there's two things you don't know in this world. <laughs> okay, explain to me the uh, the All Shook Up album cover because that was a little bit. I, I guess people were calling it psychotic Led Zeppelin, but that album cover I tried to figure out at one point, and I was like, I, I gave up because I just I, I liked the look. For me, it was a it was a throwback to low a little bit a bit like first album lo fi production, but it yeah. had that Beatles. Well, it was, I tried to tried to do through pictures uh, the song titles. And um, 
it's like me. I'm a songwriter, but you don't want to hear me sing it. You want to hear Robin sing it. You know, it's like I'm good at certain stuff, and I'm not so good at the other stuff. You want to hear Robin sing it? He's a great singer, and I'm I'm in the band too. No, so you're a hell of you're a hell of a harmonist. I I hear you on all these old TV. Like I said earlier today, I went down that rabbit hole. I, I heard a lot of old TV performances, live TV performances, before before people just taped everything. And Rick was singing all these really high harmonies in this spot. <laughs> And that's I can still do the the baby voices stuff. Baby loves to rock. <laughs> that's me. Yeah, I know, I know. So, um, what was it like the first time you heard you heard Robin's voice? Like, because you had you had the uh, another singer in the band. You had you had Z, Zeno Zeno. Um, I'm sorry, Zeno. Z, Z, Randy Zeno Hogan. You had him in the band, but then what happens the first time you hear Robin? You go, this is my guy. I'm sticking with him. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, I've, I've always been a songwriter more than than a I'm no I'm no virtuoso on guitar. Uh, when I like songs, and it's like I always wanted to have the that voice. I mean, I worked with some great people, but Robin was the guy that could do it all. He could sing the the ballads. He can sing the, the he could be Mister Nasty. He could be Mister Mister Sweet. And it's like that's what's that's what's a real songwriting. I I think or I thought was. The fact that you could be more diverse than just one thing, and he he could handle all that stuff. Was there ever a time that the two of you guys were you, you would have to tell him to play rhythm guitar because he actually plays really good rhythm? But obviously, I look at him as sort of like a good-looking Kurt Cobain in that sense of that he just he just he just commands the stage with his voice. He's got the voice of rock and. When, when was like when did you decide when he was going to play guitar and when he wasn't or was that his decision? Well, you know, being a three-piece band, three-piece guitar, bass, drums, and a vocalist, you know, we needed all that, you know, all the musical power we, we could have. So, Robin, he, he can play fine lead, he can play fine rhythm, and I we don't play the same, which is like that's what kind of fills the end stuff. It's not like we were both playing exactly the same thing. Um, He'll, if he has a song, he comes up with his. Hey, uh, here's how the thing goes. It's like I can't. I don't. I don't have the same feel he does. He doesn't have the same feel I do. It's like so. It, it's really it, it. It just sounds cooler, <laughs> you know. At least in our eyes, you know. And, and like in the vocals too. It's like if we had every voice was as good as his, it wouldn't sound so good. At least to us, you know. We, we, but the fact that my had this raspy but in tune. Uh, voice along with his good voice it sounds yeah. we sound like we're, like we mean it well, I, what's interesting to me is that you guys have that relationship singer guitar player that not a lot of bands from that era had because if you're talking about like Steven Tyler and Joe Perry there's a lot of drama going on any sort of singer lead guitar player Axel Slash there's always been a bit of drama you the two of you have always maintained and I know there's probably drama going on because trust me folks after going through the down the rabbit hole of research there's been a lot of drama in Cheap Trick I know you've had uh, you know you've had issues with management you've had issues with band members but the one thing that did happen at one point is that Tom did leave the band briefly or not briefly. It was actually quite a while. And you, and you had, and you had Pete and John Brandt 
both fill in. And when Pete came into the band, he almost looked so much. It was like an episode of Johnny Bravo of the Brady Bunch of like he almost looked identical to Tom. But he was a guitar player. But he I didn't realize that he played with John Brandt and eventually John Brandt became in as the bass player. Yeah, here's, a, here's a fact. The fact that you lived out in L.A., every time we come to L.A. and we drive up on um, La Cienega, we drive by this one place and said, oh, two ex-bass players from Cheap Trick Liquor Store. <laughs> There's a place called John and Peace. <laughs> That's great. I got to check that out. I think it's called John and Peace, but it's like we call it the, the two ex-bass players from Cheap Trick Liquor Store. But Stop in and just tell them I said I. <laughs> Was it a tumultuous time during that time? Because I know that every band has their band drama and stuff like that. But the thing with, with the, the, the thing with Tom, was there a bit of tumultuousness? And it was kind of like you guys had been together for so long and then break coming back. Well, that's the that's one of the benefits of being an only child like you and I are. Uh, we don't have to deal. We don't have any real brothers or sisters. So we have to. So our brothers and sisters are the guys we play with. And it's like. Well, you know, you know how that goes. It's like, well, the the daughter, the the wife of this guy doesn't want to. And it's like it's it's so confusing. It's like, so I thought I'd really confuse it by being married for fifty years and having twelve grandkids. So now I I really don't want to know what's going on. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What was I'm, the question? No, the question was, I, I wanted to get a little bit into that the little tumultuous thing because nobody really talks about it. A lot of people talk about the, you know, I know, I know that the, the Dax is in the band now and that, and that there's been, you know, Bunny's part of it, of, of the whole circle and the umbrella and always will be. But uh, Dax Nielsen is your drummer now when you're touring. And of course, now we're all sort of isolated at home and stuff. But my feeling was not a lot of people. I didn't know that Pete Comita and John Brandt were in a band together and I didn't. And, and yeah. yeah. So that, that just kind of had tripped me out and he, I think it was the thumbs. I think that was the band that they were. It's like when, uh, when Pete came to play uh, with us, he was driven by John to my house. <laughs> to get, you know, it's like, why? I didn't know. It's like, you can't make this crap up. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but it, but that goes back to the saying of like it, it really is be nice to your band members because you never know who's going to get you the same gig. Even you're in the same band, right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Well, there you go. Vic's putting up a lot of great photos, and um, I really appreciate you hanging out with me, Rick, all this time. If you have a little bit more time, we have a segment of the show called Let the People Speak, and this is where people have asked some really cool questions, and they'd like to them answer. Yeah, there you go. Two amazing rockers. That's us. But if you don't they mind... Let's... They took it down because I think it said something about Larry. Did it? it? What was that? Larry uh, yeah, for Melrose. <laughs> Oh, that's Larry. That's Melrose Larry Green. Hey, thanks for watching, man. I really appreciate it. My my guitar tech is Larry Malero. Is that? Melrose Larry Green. Are you wearing your guitar tech on your chest? My guitar tech's going to be, I'm wearing you guys, but he's going to be very jealous about that. He passed away a couple of years ago. Okay. He was, he was like my last guy I was hoping to have. Actually, I just, uh, his wife was selling all this stuff, and I just bought um, Larry's collection of, 92 foot pedals. Wow. Stomp what all of all of they had. 
So now I'm, you have, and I and I don't use foot pedals. No. So it's like, uh, oh my God! Before we get into this, let the people speak. I want to just briefly talk about your equipment because I mean, I was at your house one night. I I know you remember because it was like probably the third or fourth time you've gotten the key to the city of Rockford. But we did this show. We were on tour, and Eric and Singer, Eric Singer, and I were able to go to your house, and you basically showed me a little bit of your vault of the guitar. And I remember uh, go, you telling me to go under a couch and pull out a case. And you said, be careful with the case. It's worth about $15,000, just the case. And it was like a 1958, like fly, an original 1958 flying V, right? Yep. We got, we got them. That's the way to do it. Oh my God. So now you, so now you have all these, uh, stomp boxes and stuff that would rival Bob Rock's sort of stomp box collection. I'm sure. Yeah, 90, 92 of them. I got there like five huge boxes of shipped from LA to my house. And so, like, uh, yeah, well, and I wanted to help, I wanted to help Larry's wife out. Cause you know, it's like, it's terrible things for him to pass away. And, and she's stuck with all this stuff. I tell people, it's like, whenever I croak, um, wait for my wife, she'll be selling everything for, I got it for a dollar. <laughs> no, no, they're all going into the Library of Congress or something. Right, like right. No, they're in the Library of us. No, never mind. Well, one of one of the guys from our team, the Rat, we call him the Rat, Dave Rattenberry. He wanted to know what your uh, of your guitar collection. Do you have? Because not a lot of people know about what a like massive guitar collection that you do have. Probably what. Over a hundred guitars. I have about five hundred. Yeah, there you go. See, don't believe Wikipedia, folks. They've put they've played more than three thousand seven hundred shows. They played six thousand. He's got more. Good looking too, so you know you can't believe that. So you got about five hundred guitars. So this question is going to be really, really, really hard to answer. Do you have a couple go tos? Do you have a couple favorites? Uh, well, probably the rarest ones I have is a nineteen sixty three Guild Merle Travis. If you go by uh, any um, guitar center, if you see there, there's a guitar that I'm playing because it had this big, huge blow-up uh, of it. Or they only made three of these in 1963, and I've got the second one ever made. It's called the Guild Merle Travis. They were 2000 bucks then. Uh, so that's that's one you can probably see. It's a lot, like I said, a lot of the guitar centers. Otherwise, uh, in 1958, uh, Gibson made uh, the Explorer, which is... I'm sure you got pictures of the stuff there, but it's oh, like yeah. I got, and that's you know, I think 19 of them. And I have, I have two of them and I have a, a third one actually that was, uh, I believe made by, uh, um, uh, what's his name? A uh, max max. That's it. And uh, cause there's, there's rare as whatever. And those things, uh, the last one that sold was a million one for one of them. And, uh, you know, but I didn't pay that. You know, I bought, <laughs> I bought, I'm a musician. I'm supposed to be poor. So <laughs> I got stuff and I traded to get things. That's how I got stuff. My first Les Paul that I still have today, I paid $65 for it in 1965. Wow. So 50, it was a 55. They were, they were 10 years old then. Yeah. And they were only 200 bucks new. And so I, I paid for a, a 10 year old used guitar, $65. And I still have it. Well, good for you. Good for you for saving yeah. it. Speaking of 1958, because this is actually gear geeks and equipment freaks, and you got a bunch of publishing money to spend. 1958, 
the Flying V comes out, the Gibson Explorer comes out, but there's a myst- a mystical third guitar, the Moderne. Do you own a Moderne? No, it's, we just call it Modern. Okay, but uh, the the E was on for the for the no for in the Sweden French. in Sweden it's pronounced Moderne. Just so you know. You're not a, well, yeah, you're in Sweden. <laughs> I in Rockford, yeah, I can always blame everything on Sweden. When I fuck something up, I just say, "Oh yeah, well in Sweden we do it like that." But tell us oh, about the Modern. Very good. Very good. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, I have, but not. It's not the. It's not the. The prototype one. It's the one that I have, from, or from later because I, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think anybody's got that except supposedly Billy Gibbons did. I saw that one. I saw it in. Uh, in Japan, uh, years ago, probably 40 years ago, at a guitar store there, it was a real stripped-down modern. But it was it was not it, I don't know what exactly what it was. It was it's like one that didn't exist. Do you think it could have been because that that's that's the mystery of all guitars. That's sort of the uh, you know. Well, well, it's like the it's like the Explorers. I mean, they made 19 of them, and so I have I have three with the original cases. I mean, you can't even find the original cases for for anything but it's like so i mean some people that had it you know i've seen some that are just beat to shit right that are just gorgeous to me but it's like and but the cases are gone and this the one that uh um one of these guys had they found it the guy the guy had it out in his front yard in a in a bag and it's like you can't make up his junk so so nobody wanted them back then didn't but they that way, put them up as, as like sort of like uh, window displays? That's the whole reason they were supposed to be made in the first place, right? Well, kind of. But uh, one of the things was uh, about the. That's why I, saw, uh, I actually have one. One of my uh, fifty-eight Les Pauls, or it's actually a fifty-nine. They put it as a display in a music store in Canada, and so the the sunburst finish all faded away. To like a yellow burst or something. <laughs> wow. We're now, just... now you pay extra money to have it relic like that. No, I know. I know. Like this. Well, this is from 78. So this actually has a nice, a nice weird finish here. This is something a little bit original that you might see. It's got the sunburst neck and headstock. How about that? Yeah. The things they would do in 1978. Yeah. So you're much younger than I am. So it's like, uh, that much. Not you, that's an old guitar to me. That's a brand new to me. <laughs> All right, Mister. I'm gonna just answer. I'm gonna ask you just a couple questions, and I'm gonna need some. Don't ask me for an hour. I got pissed. Oh, all right. Shit. Do I have to wrap it up? Let me know if I have to wrap it up. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, okay. Because if you need to, then we can we can go and you can go take a pee and we can come back. We're almost like John Rogan because it's now time for let the people speak. All right. Okay. Hang on. Okay. I'm- no can you hang out? Yeah, of course, of course, man. We'll hang out. I'll go full screen, man. When you come back, you're ready. You know. Hey, Buzz. Hey, folks. It's Ryan Roxy here, and obviously, I'm having uh, pretty much the time of my life interviewing one of my guitar heroes, Mr. Rick Nielsen. If you are uh, you know, look at all these guitars that he has, over 500 of them. Uh, thank you so much for hanging out and listening to this entire interview that you have been. Um, if you haven't subscribed right now to the channel, please do because it's uh, it's a cool show that we do here on In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Vic, you want to come on and say hello? This is our producer. You have a chance to even just you know show your face. Show your shirt. Show you're a fanboy hey, too. There he is. I'm fanboying out. There Oops. it is. I don't know. Now all of a sudden it's all messed up. I'm don't worry about it. it. Yeah. yeah. Don't worry about it. But how how you think the interview is going so far? 
This is awesome. Rick is amazing. No, he's a, he's a great guy, and and honestly, seriously, they Cheap Trick is an institution, and I'm yeah. so happy that that we're able to sort of celebrate all the sort of uh, contributions they've had towards American pop culture. All right, ah, he's, right. Back. He's, back. he's back. He's back. He's back. So now we're starting. Man, all right. All right. I'm out of here. All right. So we were just shit talking a bunch of on you. Sorry, man. No, I, I just want pee. I didn't shit. <laughs> All right. So now it's now. Look at this fanboys. Yeah, a little bit. So let the people speak is a part where our our folks in the chat get to ask some questions. And uh, the first question is from Hannah Cope, 88. Uh, did you have fun supporting Def Leppard on their Hysteria tour in the UK? Because you guys, what do you think about Europe? In general, yeah, well, I, I like it. I mean, I tried to move the, to Europe years ago, and it was always, oh, it's too expensive. And every year it got more expensive, so that I never went there. <laughs> but I've been going, I've been going to the Europe since '68. But uh, yes, Def Leppard. We actually a couple of days ago was uh, was Joe Joe oh, Elliott's birthday. Yeah. So I sent I sent him a a note, and he he wrote back to me yesterday. Say, hold on a second. What do you say? Maybe, maybe you can put a good word in for Joe to get because we'll get him on the uh, podcast as well because I he might have a story or two. It says, "I said happy birthday, Joe. I'm planning on posting this fine video, latest work of my cinematography skills, which a fellow master critique of the fine arts. Two thumbs up, way up. By and large, we had this uh, magazine we we're going to do. I'll let Joe with your genius, hoping to continue, maintain, match, excel our high standards of." Greatness, a la my enlarged. And he wrote back to me, Thank you, my friend. I have no idea what you're talking about, but it sounds very impressive. <laughs> You've been doing way too many cameos, Rick. That's that's the thing. You've been doing <laughs> I love it. I've been seeing them too. Yeah? Yeah, man. I've been watching some of them. I like it, man. It's good. Uh, they're pretty disgusting, but You got some time, man. You got some time and why pe- people really like it. I never advertise. I don't try to get, uh, you know, try to get more. It's like, I've, you know, I've done like almost 300 of those things. I mean, that's nothing. Yeah. I, I, that's a lot. I would, I don't want to even do the math on that, but I also want to move in and I needed, I needed real number on this. I needed an authentic number because at rad underscore dad underscore dugs ask how many picks have you tossed into the crowd throughout your career? And we do need an exact number. Okay, we do need an exact number. Well, let's put it this way. I order 60,000 at a time, and I order at least a couple times a year. Uh, so, And you've been playing for over 50 years. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> As I, I said, for the first two years, uh, there's one of my picks there. Um, the first two years, they thought, everybody thought my name was Fender. <laughs> that was before I had any picks, of course. Of course. So, yeah, I, I order 60,000 at a time. All right. So... Math. Well, you know what? I'm glad to say that Rick. And, and plus, I've never sold a pick, not not one. I mean, I look on eBay and I look at this. There's stuff for by me or from me or whatever, but I've never sold one pick. Uh, I'd, I'd have like the Ryan Roxy kind of um, kind of money if I would have sold picks. You know? Man, dude, then then you would have definitely needed to sell picks. Trust me, I've sold a couple of your picks. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> 
<laughs> but this is a, this is a Robbie Miller pick, by the way, folks. This is Robbie Miller. He's a person on our team right there. So I, that's what, who I'm using right now. I should have had a Rick. I should have had a Rick Nielsen pick today. I didn't. Why would you think of that? I know that would be almost uh, overthinking it. There it is. Um, well, there it is. Dave Rattenberry's got about fifty nine and a half thousand. So one year's. That's not even a year's supply for you. Maybe I just buy them from him. Yeah, it's like six months supply. <laughs> I have five picks with Rick's. But no Ryan picks. Well, neither do I. <laughs> we love it. So moving on at heat underscore shoots underscore picks. Why does everybody have underscores in their names? But do you still have the Kiss Records mommy and daddy played? I oh, you betcha. Uh, actually, actually, I did a, a. I was I was on American Pickers, and they came out to uh, to one of my warehouses, and and Frank, the guy with the beard. Yep. Not Frank Beard, but Frank, the guy with the beard. <laughs> Frank Fritz, uh, he was a big Cheap Trick or big Kiss fan. And I had the the original, um, the, all four guys, the, the the Kiss solo records, the one that I played on with Gene. And, Gene in and, Cherokee uh, Studios. And, and they, Gene had sent it to me with all four things. I'd never opened it. And he says, hey, can I get that? And I said, sure. I mean, I'm never, never going to listen to it. <laughs> but I, I thought Gene would have gotten a kick out of it. I never heard from him <laughs> after that. That's amazing. That, that I've I've wondered about that line because you did say your parents uh, had a music store, and we know the h- history of that. Were they rock and roll fans, or was it a different type of music? No, they weren't rock and roll fans, but, but they but they knew that that's what I like. So they they weren't like my parents were saying opera and religious songs, but they weren't like fuddy duddy kind of you know. They supported you know, they the only child. Yeah, like my mom. Yeah. They like they like the good Rick Nielsen and they like the bad Rick Nielsen. There was plenty of each. Well, the bad Rick Nielsen that is a good Rick Nielsen. It turned into an amazing character that helped out a band, and that's what we're celebrating right now. And yeah. Victoria Victoria Hansen five five four is asking. How is your new music going? Because you know what? I didn't get to talk to you about your new stuff that you're in the studio with right now. What's happening with the new music? Well, let's see. Uh, you, you think it'd be a little more um, conducive to being creative at this time. But I, I, I found it's, you know, when, it, when it's time to be creative, great. There you go. It didn't matter if there's a pandemic or, or, or if there's nothing going on or there's so many things going on. It's when you feel it. When the when you feel the the urge, that's when you should write. I mean, I I, I I'm friends with Sting, and he gets up every day and tries to write a song. It's like, man, I just try to wake up. You know, I don't care about. That. <laughs> it just seems like too much of a, You got to think too hard. You know, it's like, you know, of course, of course, he sells so many way more records than I do. So maybe I should think a bit more. I don't well, know. You know, I think it happens when you when you sort of make your name just one word. You have to sort of start writing songs every single day. I think Prince wrote a song every single day. Madonna probably writes with someone that writes a song every day. Cher writes a song every day too. <laughs> I love it. So. Thank you for that. But are, is there new music coming out? Are you recording right? Because I under, I do understand that fact that that sometimes you are when you're inspired. That's when you have to do it. But have you been recording lately with the guys? And you you mentioned on it briefly. But what's happening right now in the studio? Uh, well, actually, I just got a <laughs> I got a, a a call from a guy that I know. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Uh, you remember um, Paul Revere and the Raiders? Of course. Uh, Mark Lindsay, 
he, he wrote the song and they asked me to play on a track. So they're sending me a track to play on because, because he said, Mark Lindsay, the big fan of cheap trigger man of Ricky. I was like, what? <laughs> okay. And so, <clears throat> and so, uh, so they sent it to me and I'm going to play on it. I think to next couple of days. Nice. Yeah, so that's, plus we already have, we have two records coming out. We have a, a che- two cheap trick records that are already done and ready to come out. So whenever, whenever uh, the record company wants to release it, then we will. I guess that's all done into planning of like, when are they going to turn? How are we going to do this with the, with the pandemic? Is it a good time to put a record out or is it not a good time? I think it's a good time because I think people are starved for good new music. Yeah. I, I don't know. I guess we'll find out. You know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's like when, uh, when, uh, when, uh, whatever it's called, not, not Spotify. What's the, Napster or whatever. Yeah, yeah. When whatever Napster, the, Metallica and Napster went to war. Oh, man, you know, I've got, I got 8 million songs. I, well, how are they? Well, I, and and that, I've heard two, you know, but <laughs> well, my collection has 8 million. It's like, yeah, it's like, uh, with guitars, I understand having way too many. But with, uh, with getting stuff off the internet, just to say you have it, I, I, I was, I was well, not like- impressed. Like you said, you've written almost 400 songs and eight of them, they, they, they really stick out to you. So in that sense. So you remember what I said. How about that, Ryan? Wow. Hey, man, it's not just, it's not just, it's not vodka. It's water in here, man. I think yeah, later really. it might be vodka. We'll see. <laughs> Wait a minute. Let's see. It's Sweden right now. It's, uh, it's a... Eight o'clock at night. Yeah, it's getting close to dinner time. We've definitely, we've definitely, you've done more than like you've done way extra credit, Mister Rick Nielsen. You've been on with us in the trenches for so. I'm, I'm so happy that you you spent this time. I have two more questions for you. Then I'm going to let you go. I'm going to put up your socials and get you guys all. You know, not that you need it, but just get people out there to know uh, how to get in touch with you, and they want to find out more and get that those two new cheap trick records that are coming out. But there's a, another question, and this is actually kind of important for me to know. But at Jasper Schultz sixty nine, because um, there was sixty eight of them before that. Uh, why did you start playing guitar? Well, I started out playing drums, and uh, I started playing drums, and it's like for whatever reason. Uh, I decided to start playing guitar. So I, I taught myself how to play guitar and, and keyboard. Uh, getting uh, messages, huh? More sessions? Uh, well, kind of. One is about Cameo. Okay. And one is the conversion. I don't know. How <laughs> I'm talking to you, so who gives a crap? Rick. Uh, see. Yeah, I started. Well, I'll be in all truth be told. I started with the trumpet because my father played trumpet. But then my next instrument, I didn't really take it that seriously. But then it was the drums. I had a drum kit. I had a five piece Slingerland Tiger Stripe drum set. I wish I never would have sold it. You well, know? You know, I took drum lessons from uh, the Rudiment King. His name was Frank Arsenault. If you look him up, he was on Ludwig Records. Okay. I took lessons from him. And, I, and so I had this record when I was nine years old. Says to Richard, rudimentally yours, Frank Arsenal. Well, like, like a personal a, lesson. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and he was the rudiment king. If you look him up on Ledwick Records, yeah. uh, so I, I still, have, I have about six sets of uh, drums. Okay. Do you have a Slingerland? Do you have? Do you own any Slingerland sets? No, I have uh, Ludwig, uh, Slingerland, and Leedy Ludwig. Nice. Yeah. I, I took used to lessons. 
And I, I have a set of orange drums too. Nice. They're made, made in France. They're, those are rare. I was the first guy to buy an orange amp in 1968 from Cliff Cooper in London at the, it was called Orange Music Store. And that's where I bought my Mellotron. I bought that from Cliff Cooper in 1968 and had it shipped over to play and use on the, the Fuse album. How about that? First guy in America to have one. So you're the first guy in America to have a Mellotron. That, that's like completely, that's, that's, that's groundbreaking because actually wasn't, who was the first band to use it though? Was it because we always kind of equate the Beatles as being that band. Yeah, there well, had to have been a, the Beatles and the Moody Blues. Okay. And in the United States, uh, I believe that uh, after that, um, the Beach Boys and Stevie Wonder had had one, and also uh, CBS TV had one. But if you play on the the original Meltron, uh, the it was the left. It was on the there was a dual keyboard. It was the right hand side of the keyboards, the very lowest uh, note on the right hand side of the keyboard. Uh, if you press the key down, it played the, uh, the intro to Hey Bungalow Bill. Hey, that's on one note on the melodrama. Sounds like you Nobody know something would. about that band. So let me ask you, Rick, are, are, are you a Beatles fan? Of course. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Stupidest Duh. question have I have ever been asked. Yeah. Are you sure it's not up real late over there? Stop. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> so anyway, our last question, and this is actually Whoa. important. Yay, All right, question. sorry, sorry. Come on now. Hang with me just a little while. Now, Rick Nielsen, our, our, our chat has been amazing. You guys have been amazing hanging in there, asking amazing questions, putting up amazing comments. But at The Real Muddy Dog asks, how did you get that tone? All right? And, and hmm. there it is. How did you get that tone? Well, I don't use pedals, for one. Um, Even I, though you own 90 of them. Yeah. I use... Uh, I, I, what I'm using is, is uh, amps that I had built for me in 1977, I think it was, 78, 78, uh, by Paul Rivera when he was, before he started the, the Rivera amps. The Marshall, the Marshall Mods, yeah. Well, he used to do uh, Fender Deluxes and put a heavier transformer, a, a master switch, or master volume, and a bigger and a bigger speaker. And I bought, I had six of those made for me, and I still have five of them. And I blew one of up, one up. I still use them today. I remember. It's just, it's just, uh, you know, I, I don't change my settings. I don't change my, uh, the tone setting. I don't, you know, do extra junk on it. That, that's it. Your tone moves air, though. That's the thing about guys like you that have the sound and these and use these types of amps. You, you create distortion out of sheer volume. If, if it overdrives, it's out of a, a volume sort of thing right yeah well uh, remember when i played with you guys uh uh last year i think it was yeah we came to rockford and i went up i brought uh the guitar i brought it's uh one of one of the gu guitars that's in my collection it's a, a 1962 um called dwight cornet which they're like epiphone but dwight cornet and uh and it has one pickup it's like a p90 in it yeah. and alice came up to me and says that guitar sounds amazing it's like, what is it? I said, it's nothing. You know, so I just plug in and that's it. 
It's the guy playing it, though, man. It really is. I, I honestly think, though, that that you do have this. The, the way that you get your tone is that you just you move air, and and I I had that happen with Brian May. Uh, with he, I had all these marshals come up. He comes up on stage with us to jam, and I had a bunch of marshal stacks. And he comes up with one AC thirty, and his amp is completely louder than all of our, you know, amps put together. <laughs> deal. Yeah, it is. Well, hey, Rick, it's been great having you on. I know, um, I, I know that uh, you got to get going, getting in the studio right now. But if if people want to uh, check you out right now on the old social media, I saw that you were on Instagram. I saw that you were on um, at Cheap Trick is um, at Cheap Trick Rick as well as at Cheap Trick Official. Is that Instagram or where are you promoting these days, or do you promote it all? Do you need to? I I don't I don't do it as much as I should, but I do it as way more than I want to sometimes. Rickneilson dot com or Cheap Trick Rick, you know. It's like, and I feel bad because I uh, I'm looking at things. Oh, Rick, you have 800 messages. Oops, you need to return some <laughs> messages someday. Answer these things. So once in a while I do, you know, because I had I had uh, Lizzie Hale and and uh, yep. just a bunch of, a lot of different people say, like, oh man. Uh, what a what a prick I am! I mean, I don't even answer some of these <laughs> these people back. Oops, but I you know it's like I I can't do the hey, Rick. What'd you have for for breakfast? So I had an orange and I had a grape. Like, who cares? You know, so I don't I don't I I I don't have enough time to do interviews with you let alone i know but you did and you answered my call and you answered my my dm thank you very much for that man i appreciate it and going out on cheap trick i just have to ask that last question was it really i know but was it really the slade was it really the slade uh, concert that you saw in england with with tom that that said you know that's where the name came up uh yeah see mike dylan uh, thank you joe love the love 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 this uh, joe messer Kelly, thank you. Great show. All these people see. Oh, thank you guys. Great show. Uh, yeah, that was. We were at the at the uh, where was that? The Spectrum in Philadelphia. And I saw Slade, and there's holy cow, those guys were. Uh, I like Slade. I mean, that was they were uh, they were uh, was it. Quiet Riot before Quiet Riot. Exactly. Mama, we're all crazy now. Come on, fill the noise. I'm, I hope I'm right. I hope I'm not getting it wrong with Mata Hoople, but I think I am. Yeah, good. <laughs> but but was it Tom that said this band is using every cheap trick in the book? Yep. And I said, boy, that's a good that's a good name. Well, you know, we were, our name of our band at that time was Sick Man of Europe. You know, it's like, how, how bad is that? I was that was that, that name was so bad. That's what they called me. <laughs> uh, every, every time we said, "What's the name of your band?" Sick Man Europe. What? <laughs> you know, if, if you know if people say what after you, okay, let's get, might you use it? Ricky, I say spell my name wrong. Um, so <laughs> if you have to tell people, explain what your name of your band is. It's probably not a good idea. <laughs> well, so about thirty-five years later, we called one of our songs "Sick Man Europe," right. and that one. It did really well in Europe. Imagine that. 
Yeah. And now there are probably a lot of sick men in Europe right now that can relate to it. Yeah, you're one of them. Get that to sleep. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rick Nielsen, for being on In the yeah, Trenches. Folks, honestly, it's been a pleasure having you. Say hello to the family. Tell, tell Karen, thank you very much for loaning you out for a little bit, but I'm sure we'll see each other somewhere down the road, whether it's in an Alice Cooper dressing room or hopefully a Cheap Trick live show. I want to be there. Rick Nielsen of Cheap Trick. Folks, we've had him in the trenches. Thank you, Rick. All right. Adios, amigos. Hey, man. Until next send time. Link, send me the link so I can listen to this junk later. You got it, man. Until next time, folks. Enjoy the ride. Cheers. In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello.